0: We live in a world that longs for something different. Surrounded by the next latest and greatest, we aren't content. And we never truly will be until we show the world there's a better way to live. Pray with me real quick. King Jesus, you reign this moment of this day. You are on the throne. And you are not surprised by anything. I've got to pray this morning as we look at what it means to be missionaries for you. God, that you would mobilize us to go out from this place, to live for a story greater than our own, and to be ferocious in our witness. Father, by your power, would you penetrate our hearts with your word? I pray in your powerful name. Amen. Well,. Uh, We're still here. I always joked with people about the backwards rapture. I don't know if that's maybe this or or what's going on, but I was reading, um, it was saddening like all the jokes that were going on about this to an extent, and I was reading in an article that talked about a, a couple, a married couple, they were 27, and I believe she was a med student, and she had quit school to join the Herald Camping folks to uh, tell everyone that May 21st, 2011, the world was coming to an end. And they budgeted their money to end yesterday. I'm not sure how today's going for them. Um, I also talked, my father-in-law was telling me that He had heard stories about people actually spending the last week saying goodbye to their family members. And and my thought in my head was like, you know, was it just like, you know, it's been a great road trip here, you know, we'll see you later. Or were they like pleading with them? Like, this is it. Because this week I got a call. Monday, Monday morning, it's our family day. And I get a call from the school that I taught at for five years. And they said, so-and-so's father died. Can you come up here and hang out with the students? The guy was 51, 52 years old. Walk into the bathroom. Healthy guy. Heart attack. Dropped to the floor. His wife was a nurse. Revived him twice. The third time she couldn't get him back. They took him to the hospital. They worked on him for an hour. They couldn't get him back, and he went to be with Jesus. And so in the weight of, like, the joking and, like, you know, Christendom kind of has a mark on it as, like, you know, all these people that are just making stuff up and all the atheist parties that are going on and all this. in, In the midst of that, the good that I see in this is that there's been a lot of conversation about the end, which is coming. And whether it's Jesus returning to this earth and taking his people back, or whether it's you're healthy and everything is great, and you have three amazing kids who love Jesus, and the Lord calls you home. There's there's an end to this life. And we're going to look at today, we're in this series of Gospel in Life, and we're going to talk about our witness we're talking about living for something bigger than our than ourselves, our own little stories. We're going to talk about how to have an effective witness. So, if if you're in Acts four, and I know all of you are sitting there thinking we're really going to go through this entire chapter, yes, uh, I'm going to try to go fast. We'll see how we do. Um, Acts four. The context of Acts four is that um, there's been an incredible movement within the church. The start of the church in Acts four. Just before Acts 4, here's what you have happening. You have the apostles who just, by the miraculous power of God, healed a lame man who was born that way. So this dude's like 40 years old, and now he can walk. It's a dude that's been sitting on the side of the road for years and years and years of his life, and now he's walking around, and everyone's like, wait a second, that's the same guy that for the past 40 years was sitting on the side of the road, couldn't do anything? And the authorities there, the leaders in this city, don't like that. So pick it up at verse 1. And they were speaking to the people, and the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening but many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. Okay, so this, let me just give you some numbers real quick, okay? Right here in this passage, they say 5,000 men, which also, oftentimes also included the family as well, 5,000 came to the faith. If we go back to chapter 2, verse 41, it says 3,000 plus came to the faith. At the end of chapter 2, it says that day by day, people were coming to the faith. And in chapter 5, verse 14, and we could go on, the entire book does this. It says that more were being added than ever before. And I stand in this moment this day, and I'm like, let it be, God. I want to see that happen. So there's been this massive movement, and here's what I want to do. I want to give you seven things. We're going to talk about how to have an effective witness, and I want to give you seven things that I think we see directly in this this text, and the first one is the context for your witness. Community. Rick taught on community last week, but this passage is sandwiched in between the end of chapter 2 and the end of chapter 4. Go to chapter 2. Verse 42, listen to the community that's described. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship and the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together. And they had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending in the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. In the context of a gospel-centered, life-on-life, loving community, God was using that community to add to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. Now go to chapter 4, verse 32. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. Here, let me me interject this. We're going to see, my last point has to do with the the point of prayer in our witness. We're going to see that prayer is what actually brought these believers together. So the one heart and soul reality that they possessed was a result of their praying together. And no one said that anything that belonged to them was his own. But they had everything in common. So this wasn't like they liked the same sports, they liked the same movies, they liked the same conversation. It means everything they had was like, growing up, did you have common ground? And that's the ground that like everyone came to, everyone played, like their life was open. My stuff, it's, it's your stuff. Your stuff is my stuff. That's what it means. They had everything in common. It's community. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them. Okay, think about this for a second. All over Scripture, we see God calling us into community. We see that God saves us, not to be an individual that loves Jesus, but He saves us into the context of a community of believers. He saves us into the context of the church, uh, I love this quote, uh, Leslie Newbigin, British theologian. The gospel does not become public truth for a society by being propagated as a theory or as a worldview, and certainly not as a religion. It can become public truth only insofar as it is embodied in a society, the church, which is both abiding in Christ and engaging in the life of the world. Okay, think about this for a second. Why? H- here's why. People don't want a theory. They don't want some, you know, high-in-the-sky deal that sounds great and sounds peachy. They want something that's going hit, to hit home with everyday life. They want something that's going to meet them where they're at, which is the brilliance of the gospel because the gospel beckons people to come into the very thing that our souls long for and were created for. Relationship. Community. If you're in a community group, your community group is talking about creating a context to which you invite unbelievers into your community experience, right? Why? So that people begin to see the community that, that, that we have, the, the love that we Seek to have for one another that we're working to love each other more fully in. It's what Christ calls us to. The church in Acts embodied this community. They I mean you read the book of Acts and you see a community on mission that's led by these twelve guys. They were empowered by Jesus to be the hands and feet of Jesus and teach the people of God to be the hands and feet of Jesus. But, let me, let's think about this for a second. What enables us to speak the gospel? Have you been in situations where you've tried to speak the gospel and it's just kind of gone bad and you're like intimidated by it and it's just kind of not one of those things that you really want to do? You've probably heard uh, the phrase, preach the gospel and if necessary, use words. I used to think that was a great phrase. Um, But the the truth is that it's always necessary to use words especially in today's culture, okay? We, we think that because we have standards, because we um, lo- just love someone, um, because we do and don't do certain things, that people are automatically going to assume, oh, I'm, I'm broken, and there's a reality of Jesus who died on a cross to save me from sin, and if I repent and believe, I'll be saved just by you living a respectable life. No, it doesn't work that way. At some point, you're going to have to open your mouth and tell them. Okay? But, how? Look at verse 5. Back in Acts 4. The next day, the rulers and the elders and the scribes gathered together in Jerusalem. With Annas the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, and all who were of high priestly family. When they had set them in the midst, they inquired, by what power... By what name did you do this? Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders. I'm gonna stop there. Okay, so what's the power for your witness? What's the power to speak the gospel? What does it say here? It says, Peter was filled with what? The 262 method? The Romans Road method? And we got some others we could probably throw out. Okay. He's filled no, he's filled with the Spirit. He was filled with the Spirit of God to speak to the authorities that were confronting them for communicating the gospel. Um I, I wanna free you up from thinking that you have to have these words, you have to have Um, this ability. You have to conjure up this certain situation. I want to free you up from that because here's the deal. Um, Jesus, with his disciples in Matthew 10, this is what he tells them. He says, behold, I'm sending you. It's like, "I'm, I'm sending you out. He's getting ready to send them out into the world to proclaim the message of the cross, and you're a sheep, and everyone around you is a wolf. It's really encouraging. Jesus, thank you. So, be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you into the courts and flog you in their synagogues, and you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles when they deliver you over. Do not be anxious for what you are to say. Thanks, Jesus. That's encouraging. Well, what's happening is Acts chapter 4 is actually the fulfillment of that reality. They're standing before government officials. They've been beaten. They're in prison about to be. But Jesus ends it with this. Do not worry about what you're to say. It will be given to you in that hour, for it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of the Father speaking through you. It's the same thing that he says in Acts 26... Paul is recounting his Damascus road experience and when Jesus says to him, I'm sending you Jesus is saying that to you this morning I'm sending you to open their eyes that they may turn from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to the power of God. Do you know the hope? The means by which God wants to do that? As you sit there thinking about all the junk that's going on in your life. I'm the means? Yeah, absolutely. But God's Spirit at work within you. And in Acts chapter 9, it says, So the church throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria, had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. Why did it multiply? First of all, it multiplied for this reason, because they were more fearful of the Lord than of the people. My biggest downfall is fear of man. God is mightily freeing me from that. But they're walking in the fear of the Lord and, check this out, in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. So the things that God calls them to do, they're walking in this reality that the Spirit is within them, empowering them, mobilizing them to actually do what He says. Imagine that. God's doing it in Him, and through them. But I also want to free you up from thinking that You're the means by which they're saved. Now, we would never say that. We would never say that it's dependent upon me to save someone, but we act that way, okay? So, the power for your witness to save is Jesus. That's what they say. Look at verse 10. Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead. By him, this man is standing before you well. So they're talking about it was Jesus that, that saved this man from his physical disease. By him, this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you. The builders, which has become the cornerstone... And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Now, here's the problem. We've dumbed down the gospel to be so man-centered. Now, when we would say it's God-centered, but we live as if it's dependent upon us. We live as if it's dependent upon our ability to manufacture specific words in order to conjure up the end result that we really want, rather than it really being a move of God and it really being a move of the Spirit by which Jesus does the work. I love Paul, the Apostle Paul. I find that very similar to him in some ways. First Corinthians chapter 2. Listen to what he says. This is so freeing. And I, when I came to you, brothers, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. So he wanted the gospel to penetrate his own heart. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. Have you been there? Have you lived in that reality? You ever been before someone and you felt like God was probing your heart to proclaim the gospel to them and and there was weakness and fear and trembling and you're like, can they see that everything within me is shaking? Paul's like, I've been there. Yeah, much trembling. Not only that, um, my speech and my message, they weren't very good. They weren't like, whoa, Paul worked it today. He was on. No, they were a demonstration of the Spirit's power. That's it. You can fail in your eyes at being an effective witness. But God do magnificent things because it's not dependent upon you. That your faith may not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. We're too reliant upon our own wisdom, our own abilities. God's got to save them. I don't care how good you are. I don't care how great of a theology you have. I don't care how much school you've been to. I don't care how many degrees you have. I don't care how many degrees you don't have. I don't care how many degrees you wish you had. I don't care how much training you've had. God's got to do it. If God doesn't do it, it's not happening. So what about our credibility? Look at verse 13. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished, and they recognized they had been with Jesus. Jesus, like, oozed out of them. Like, they lived in such a way that Jesus just kind of oozed out of them. Why? Because they spent time with them. says they were calm, common men. They were uneducated. Um, I was at Subway working uh, this week, and this doesn't happen very often, but I was having a conversation with a girl that lives in North County. I work out in St. Peter's. It's a sad shame. But anyway, um, she lives in North County, and I was floored. She, she lives in Ferguson, and she's moving to, to St. Peter's. I was pleading with her not to, but anyway, um, she's moving to St. Peter's to because her house is all messed up from the tornado. And so I was talking with her, and, and I told her, I said, Hey, um, if you need anything, if we can help you in any way with your house, with your transition, with whatever's going on, um, l- let me know. Turns out she works at Starbucks on Graham. Um, I've probably seen her before and hope to go back and have conversation with her. But not, not literally five minutes after this conversation, my phone buzzes in my pocket. And uh, I pulled it out and just glanced at it. And, I, and she, f- like, you know, Facebook stalker, found me. And, uh, <laughs> and she sent me a message. You know, you can send someone a message without friending them. That's just kind of weird. But anyway, um, she sends me a message. And it just said thank you it's like i've come across a lot of church people and been treated in ways that i didn't think church people should treat me and you're one of the first that showed you cared and like that's all, all it said And probably what she's describing are people that that their credibility was based on their religious, their standing, their right standing before God in their own eyes, rather than their credibility being simply the gospel and an encounter with a holy God. These people, the apostles, they'd been with Jesus. Um, Me and a bunch of people were in Mexico for uh, several days, a week and a half ago or so, and i found that the more i was there i started talking with like this mexican accent <clears throat> um and i'd even like i was sharing some stories with uh, we were like laying on the beach and i was telling a story and at the end of the story i had to say yeah that's how it went but probably not with that mexican accent like um that's what happens when you spend time with jesus like i would i would Just automatically begin, not talking like a Mexican, but anyway, um, I would automatically, (laughs) I would automatically begin talking with this accent that I'm not going to try to do now. But anyway, why? Because I'd been around Mexicans, they'd been with Jesus, it flowed out of their life, it's where their credibility was. The fifth thing is the promise in your witness. Um, So, the religious leaders, they get together. And they start talking about the apostles. And what they're doing. And the work that they're doing to advance the gospel. And they start figuring out, what are we going to do here? There's a problem. We can't deny it. They use those words. We cannot deny this problem. What are we going to do here? And so they call them in verse 18 they called them in and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of jesus so there was opposition and what's crazy is i wonder in their head if they had thought through this is exactly what jesus said would happen he promised this would happen Have you seen Home Alone? Are there three of them? Probably be a fourth, who knows. Um, Why was the kid so effective at keeping the robbers out? Or maybe not out, but... (laughs) Because he was prepared for it. He overheard them. He knew the opposition was coming, and that boy was ready. Was he not? Okay? Okay? I mean, we lock our doors at night. I mean, we're not, we're not really prepared, but we're kind of prepared because, you know, we think those locks are so good. Um, anyway, um, we live as if we're not prepared for what Jesus says, that opposition is coming. That you're, you're going to actually face this opposition. Did not Jesus just say, I'm sending you a sheep in the midst of wolves? Right? Right? Peter writes in 1 Peter 4, Beloved, don't be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening. I wonder if sometimes we're in these situations and in the midst of that situation, we're like, why is this happening? And Jesus is up in heaven saying, I, I told you this would happen. I promised you opposition is going to come But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you also may rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. It's because in those contexts of opposition, God wants to show His power. What about courage? Number six, the courage for your witness. Um, When I was in college, I worked uh, for a foundry, a manufacturing company. We manufactured parts. So what would happen is, um, we'd have these, uh, these iron plates that would be heated to several hundred degrees that we'd clamp together. We'd shoot sand into them. The sand would form a mold. We'd, it would harden on the outside. We'd dump the sand on the inside. We'd refill it with a finer, less expensive sand. And then that mold would dry. We'd make stacks of them. We'd clamp them together. We'd lay them down. We'd pour aluminum into this that, that, that would then form a part Okay, And that part would then go to the bandsaw, and we'd cut off the extra metal. Then from the bandsaw, it'd go to the grinding machine, and we'd grind off, and we'd we'd polish it up so that it would um, then be finished. After then, it went to uh, a machine that went inside and steel shot was thrown at it and plastered on it to create a finish and a protective sealant. We manufactured parts. It took work. It was hot. We were in a warehouse. You ever ever feel this way in, in trying to be a witness for Christ? Like it's manufactured? Like you have to go through all these steps in order that it's just so unnatural. But here's the thing. Look at verse 19. Peter and John answered them whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. This wasn't manufactured. The way they lived their life was not manufactured. The way they lived their life was an experience. They'd been with Jesus. It wasn't a belief only. They saw and they heard and that affected the way that they lived their life. I went ziplining in Mexico. And since I've been back, I've been telling people about that experience. I've been a commercial for those companies. Because it was an incredible experience. But we don't like to do that with Jesus. We don't want to be that guy. Because this is not cool. Right? Right? Unfortunately, we need to redefine cool. Because they'd had an experience, they'd seen it, they'd experienced Jesus, and it's the most thrilling thing that happens. And when you spend time with Jesus, what happens is, obedience is the overflow, the outpour of your joy in Him, rather than it just being something that's manufactured got to do this. Now, at that times, that's, that happens. Look at verse 23. They then are released. They went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God. So let's talk about prayer. Um, if you lack confidence to be who God's called you to be, Um, I want to give you some hope here. Um, Listen to how they pray. Look at what it says. Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the seas and everything in them. So what are they doing? First off, they're having an unbelievably high view of God's sovereignty. Because how do they start? How do you pray? How do you start your prayers? God, I need this. God, I need that. God, help me with this. Before they got to any of that stuff, which isn't necessarily bad, they said, Sovereign Lord, you are the creator of the heavens and the earth. That's where they start. They had a high view of God's sovereignty. So much so that if we jump down to verse 28, look at how they pray. Do whatever you want, God. Do whatever you want in and through my life. And then how crazy is this in verse 29. And now, now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. Okay, so what just happened? They're praying. They're in the midst of this crazy opposition. And what do they do? What would you think they would do? God, we're getting all these threats. How would you finish that prayer? Make them go away. Say that. What do they say? Give us boldness to endure. They didn't pray against the threats. They didn't pray against their opposition. I'm not saying you never pray against your opposition. They didn't pray against their opposition here. What did they do? They prayed for strength and boldness to endure it. Here's the deal. It's 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 our job to speak with boldness. Now, it's spirit empowered, but it's our job to actually speak with boldness. Oftentimes, we're so self serving in our relationships. When's the last time you were bold in your relationships? When's the last time you sought somebody out that you knew could give no return to you? That you knew needed to see Jesus? That you knew needed to experience the community that you experienced? When's the last time you were bold in your relationships? it's not comfortable. It's in opposition to your flesh. But then their prayer continued, stretch out your hand to heal them. God does the healing. God does the saving. And they believed God. Look at verse 31. When they had prayed, the place in which they gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. They prayed in faith. It says that it was, the place was shaken. When I read that, and I was so convicted by the Lord because I'm like, my prayers are so weak. My prayers are so short. My prayers are so convenient. Oh, I have a 10-minute window here. I'm going to spend some time praying. They would pray for hours and hours and hours. They would literally usher in the move of God into their midst. God help us to not be so man-centered in our prayers. Here's a question, an incredibly godly man asked me this question nine years ago. If every lost person you were praying for today got saved today, how many people would be saved? If every single lost person that you're praying for got saved today, how many people would be saved? Are you ushering in God's presence? Are you ushering in the salvation of lost souls through prayer, but then they walked in faith? What does it say they did? They prayed for boldness. And they continued to speak with boldness. So, they didn't just sit on their couch. God, make me bold. No, what happened? They got up. They put themselves in situations where they had to be bold. Bold. They got off the couch, they went out the front door, they went to their neighbor, and they put themselves in a situation where God would actually answer their prayer. They lived it out. I I don't know about you, but uh, I think you would admit that being what God calls us to be is tough stuff. So much so that Jesus said that it's going to cost us our life, But I'm here to encourage you in the fact that God wants to give you the means and the power and the ability To actually do what he calls you to To actually be the witness That he's called you to be To actually open your mouth and start spiritual conversations God wants to give you that He's already granted that to you the scriptures say Let's pray and then we'll respond. Father, we need your help. Now, what a calling that you have called us to this, that you've called us to be witnesses for your name, that you've called us to live in this world in such a way that we would live out the gospel in our community, in our Christian community, and out from that into our workplaces, into our families, to our kids, to our kids' friends, to our schools, to everything, to every place. God, would you show us how this looks in our everyday lives? Would you show us how to love your gospel. We love you in Christ's name. Amen.